Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadsccl.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. Imagine you've got a kid and he's in driver's training, he or she. There with the driver instructor, the driver instructor shows him or her how to use the car, the windshield wiper, the blinker lights, the air conditioning, the heater, the fans, the systems, how to use the Bluetooth for the mobile phone capacity, how to adjust the seats up and down, and all of those gadgets and gazmos and things that can make a car pretty cool and fun to drive in. But in the process of the driver's training, That driver instructor never shows them how to use the ignition to turn on the engine, put the car in gear, and to accelerate. All of the stuff that that child or that student has learned is good, it's true, but it's absolutely useless. Because the main engine, the main fuel, the main purpose of a car is to get you from point A to point B. And until you engage the engine and that engine's energy is not transferred to the, to the wheels and to the system that makes the car move and accelerate, that car is absolutely useless. And everything that we do here as a church, we can talk about doing good in the community. We can talk about giving sacrificially. We can talk about tithing. We can even talk about, like we did last week, fasting. So many good things, so many true things, but they become absolutely useless until they're linked to, understood, and harnessed with what the Bible calls the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we go into this series through the book of Romans, the book of Romans has been called the Constitution of the Christian Faith or the Manifesto of Christian Freedom. And it is about the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of its implications, not only for our lives personally, for our church corporately, but the world as well in terms of its purposes and what God will do in time as well as eternity. And so for that reason, probably over the next five or six months, we're going to be journeying through the book of Romans. Let's look at the key verse which puts the the heart of what Romans is about in a nutshell in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, if we could have that by way of the screen. Paul writes this. Let's read it together, starting in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Notice that last statement, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Over the next several months, here's what we're going to be looking at. Let me give you an outline of what the book of Romans is about as Paul brings out what the gospel is and what it means. So if we could see that by way of the screen first from chapters 1 to 3, Paul talks about the problem of sin and how the gospel addresses that. In chapters 4 to 5 is the message of salvation, about how God has freely given us the gift of salvation through the gospel that is received by faith. 
In chapter 6 to 8 is the message of sanctification. That is how we grow, how we're set apart to follow and live for Jesus from the gospel. In chapters 9 to 11 is the message of sovereignty, which talks about God's bigger purposes within the world. And then chapters 12 to 16 is service. It's taking the message of the gospel and lays out what it means to practically love and to serve each other and to serve our communities. So starting or kicking this off, I want to talk about what is the gospel, why it is so vital and important and should drive, should be the very engine and fuel that drives who we are in our ministries. And when I think about the gospel, if I were to summarize it in one expression, the gospel is this. It is something that reveals to us that we are more sinful than we realized, but we are more loved and valued than we could have ever dreamed. That if you are growing as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, you should have an increasing understanding of these two realities, that there is more sin and rebellion and problems and dysfunction in you than you realize And the older you get, the more you realize that. But as you grow in your understanding of the gospel, in the midst of your downness, in the midst of your sin, your depression, your discouragement, and your failures, you also rise above them because through the gospel you realize that you are more loved and valued than you could have ever dreamed or hoped. Chapter 1 of Romans. Let's talk about the author. It begins... It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Now that is huge there, Paul, a servant. Paul is the author of Romans. In fact, he's the author of about half of the books of the New Testament. And I dare say that there is no man, there is no person who has been more influential for the early spread of Christianity or the shaping and development of how we think about theology and Jesus Christ and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, than the Apostle Paul. He was a spiritual giant. And of all the apostles, at least in my mind, I I think he was the most important. But his name was not originally Paul. Do you remember what his name originally was? It was Saul. You guys are good. Maybe you should be preaching this. I don't know. He was on that road to Damascus. He was going to persecute Christians. He was killing Christians. He was arresting Christians. He was wanting to stop the movement of the Christian faith as it was beginning to emerge and starting to grow. And as he was on that road to Damascus, the voice of Jesus came from heaven and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he gets knocked off his high horse, doesn't he? His name was Saul. He was born in the modern area of Turkey to an elite family. He had an elite upbringing, an elite education. He was powerful. He was a leader, and his name reflected that. Because who do you think of when you think of the original name of Saul? It was Saul who was the first king of Israel in 1 Samuel. Saul stood heads and shoulders above everybody else. He was taller, he was stronger, he was more handsome, he was bigger. And when they named him, his parents named him Saul, they had aspirations that he would be this great, powerful leader. He would be a person of renown and influence. But after he gets knocked off of his high horse, 
And he is called by Jesus Christ. He's no longer called Saul, he's called Paul. Do you know what the name Paul means? It means short. It means small in stature. In order for Paul to be used powerfully of God, he had to be cut down to size. Now, it's interesting, we don't really know what Paul looked like. There's not a lot of descriptions. There's only one, and it's written in a book that was written about 100 years after Paul had lived. It's called The Acts of Paul. We don't know whether this is true or not, but in this book, it said that Paul was a short guy. He had balding head, kind of thinning hair, and he had eyebrows that came together. He had a unibrow, according to this description. Now, have you ever thought of Paul with a unibrow? Probably not. And as you look at this indication, we don't know whether it's true, but it's not the indication of how you might think of Paul. This guy who is head and shoulders above everybody else, tall, dark, and handsome, kind of like George Clooney. But according to this scripture, he's a, this depiction, he's a bit more like Danny DeVito. And here's the point. Paul said, I'm a servant. In that same verse, he's going to say he's an apostle to the gospel. And there is no man who has been a greater influence for the Christian faith and for the influence of getting Jesus Christ known around the world than Paul. But before he became an apostle, he had to become a servant. Folks, here's the deal. You and I, we can be too big to be used by God, but we can never be too small. Because the heart of spiritual leadership and the heart of discipling influence is not focusing on your own greatness or your own authority and power over others, but rather you become a servant and you focus on the greatness of Jesus Christ in bringing that greatness out of the lives of others. To be a person of spiritual influence means that you are focused on others in helping them to be great, not for them to acknowledge your own greatness. And that is where Paul is at. I've shared this before, but in his early leadership, the book of Corinthians, Paul made this statement of himself, I'm the least of the apostles. But then later on in his ministry, he writes to the Ephesians, And he says, I'm the least of the saints. But in the very end of his life, when he writes to to Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy, he says, I am the least of sinners. But I have finished the race that God has set for me. And I have won the prize. I have completed what God wants me to do. And through this sense of Paul, as though there was greater maturity, there came the greater sense of an awareness that He was more sinful than he realized, but he was more loved and valued by God than he could ever dream. And it's out of understanding those two realities that is the heart of our spiritual maturity and our ability to be able to serve and influence others for Jesus. So what is the gospel? He goes on in verse 1, he says, I'm called to be an apostle. And set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. Now, what is this gospel of God? It's used 60 times here in the book of Romans, and gospel means good news. It's a compound word in the Greek, ou meaning good, and agalion meaning message. 
So gospel simply means it's the good message. And this is how Paul headlines his letter. I've got good news to share with you. Now, if you're watching cable news, you're turning on the radio, and there's breaking news or headline news, how much of it is good? Not much of it, is it? My wife and I, we were in this debate for several months, and she was just wanting to cut, cut our, our, our satellite TV to get rid of our dish. And the only reason I wanted to keep it is at 6 p.m. As I'm eating dinner, I like to watch the news. And we're kind of looking at that and realize, you know, it's all bad. 90% statistically of all the news that's in the, in the headlines or the breaking news or that captures our attention is bad because bad news sells. And I think we like bad news because we say, you know what, maybe I'm not so bad. It's the world that's really messed up around me. There was a, there was a paper, and they decided to, for one day to do this experiment, that all of their articles, that all of their news lines, that all of their stories were going to be positive, uplifting, encouraging, and optimistic. And on that particular day, they lost two-thirds of their normal readership. And folks, we live in a world that is saturated with bad news and the gospel goes against our culture because it is a message that through Jesus Christ, the darkness and the worst elements of our sin have been overcome through the cross. And so when we're out in the community, we're loving, we're serving, we're feeding people, we're blessing them, we're fixing things. And people ask us the question, why are you doing this? What's in this for you? We don't want to tell them, well, we're from Crossroads Community Church and we're trying just to help people out and do good things. No, we're proclaiming through our deeds and our actions the good news. And so what we're encouraging people to say is that we're here passing on the hope of Jesus Christ to our community. Because at the heart of who we are and what we believe is good news. Now, what is the gospel? What is its content? We'll look by way of the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 2 to 4. And this is one of Paul's first letters, and he describes here in a nutshell what the gospel is. Verse 2, he says, By this gospel, this good news, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. The heart of the gospel is this, that Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, and then on the third day, according to prophecy, he was raised again from the dead. And upon this and in this comes our salvation, our blessings, and our right standing with God. John Stott described it this way. He says, imagine a prisoner who is on death row. And as he is on his way to be executed, he receives a pardon. And as he's out from moving away from the chamber where he's going to be executed, he is then given a Congressional Medal of Honor. As he leaves the prison, he is then awarded with degrees and honors from the most prestigious universities around the world. And as he goes out into the world, instead of being scorned in the shame of what he's committed in his crime and being blacklisted, he is honored and praised and he receives a hero's welcome. 
And folks, that is the gospel. That though we are yet sinners, and though eternally we should be separated from God, Jesus died for us, and through trust and faith in Him, God gives us His righteousness. And He pours into us every blessing, even though we don't deserve it. So in your notes, I've given you a definition of the gospel. It reads like this. The gospel is the truth that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are made perfect children of God. This is a gift given to those who have obedient faith. So Paul will go on, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness. And that term is used 35 times in Romans, which means that we have a right, good standing with God. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Some of your translations may have from faith to faith. And what that means is that a righteousness by faith from first to last is that when you receive salvation at the point you turn to Jesus Christ and say, yes, I receive your forgiveness, from that very moment that your faith begins to receive the righteousness of God till the very moment that you take your last breath, every blessing, every benefit, every honor that you will receive will be through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will come through his death and his burial and his resurrection. So it goes on to say, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Friends, as we journey through Romans, what we're going to see is that the gospel is not the diving board that we jump off into the pool of some other experience. But the gospel is the very pool. And the deeper you go into the gospel, the deeper you go into the waters of that pool. The gospel is not that which ignites our faith, which starts it, but it is the very fuel that carries our faith till we end our journey here on this earth. The gospel is not something that we go beyond, but the gospel is something that we go deeper into. In every level of maturity, every experience of blessing, every level of growth will occur because of your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think back to I was 15. I was there in my home in, in, in Louisville with my mom on Newcut Road. I didn't know much of the Bible. I really didn't know anything. But I had faith in Jesus Christ, and I had faith that he would accept me, and he did. And that very time that I had faith and I believed and I asked Christ into my life, he accepted me. And now I think it's 35 years later. And I look at our church, I look at Crossroads, I look at our 30-day kickstart into the harvest field, I look at the people that are sharing our, their faith, I'm looking at the direction, I'm looking at the ground that God has taken our church since I've been here on staff in the last year and a half. And I'm very, very encouraged. But I'm praying, I'm saying, God, what's the next steps? Where's the next ground? What's the next horizon that you are taking us as a church? And as the Holy Spirit begins to speak to me, as he begins to, to give me vision about what that could look like, I begin to feel frustration. 
I begin to sense my incapability. I furthermore begin to sense your incapability of doing that. I begin to get this sense of even anger, like, why am I called to this? And at those points when I really see the block between who I am and where we need to go in realizing, Lord, I'm not capable to lead crossroads into the future. It's at that point that I surrender to Jesus just like I did when I was 15. It is not Anthony, Pastor Anthony, that's going to lead us into the future. It is Jesus Christ and his gospel and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And every future step that we take as a church will be because we have surrendered to the gospel, not looking at our ability or our capability, but rather looking what Jesus Christ has done and what he has provided for us to grow in. And folks, we need the gospel. Every day of our lives, every day we need to speak to one another the gospel. Every day we need to hear the message of the gospel because upon that, our salvation, our goodness, our blessing, and our hope in its entirety rest. As Paul says, it is a righteousness that is by faith to faith from first to last. And there's never a point that you and I say, you know what? We've moved beyond the gospel. Nothing shows us about how bad we are when we try to be good. I know a lot of people say, you know, I'm a really pretty good person. But you know what? If you really try to, to be good, it shows you that you're not so good. My, there's a period of time my wife, she was doing yoga for a short period of time. And I remember looking at those who are doing yoga, and I was kind of like, well, I can do that. That's just pretend exercise, isn't it? And then somebody says, well, why don't you try doing it? I tried it. It's, uh, it looks easier than it is. Yoga and I, we don't really match, okay? And there's a lot of people who say, oh, basically, I'm a good person. I can live out the Christian life. But if you really tried to live it out from your heart, take just an afternoon from 1 to 5 and say, you know what? I'm going to live without jealousy. I'm going to live without lust. I'm going to live with patience. I'm not going to be snap out and anger at people. I'm going to just do that. Try to do that from your heart and see how well you do. And folks, not only for that afternoon, but into the evening and for the rest of your week. And you're going to realize I'm not capable. And so even now, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, you need the gospel. There was a woman who I visited about a month ago, and she's in her 80s. And this is another ministry venue that I'm a part of. This woman has been following Jesus for about 60 or more years. And I'm being very honest, she's probably one of the humblest, godliest, sincere, devoted servant of Jesus that I've ever met. As I go into her room, she's reading this book. It's a book that goes back, I believe, to the 1950s. It's a book by William Newell. And in this book, she's reading through these several affirmations of what it means to live in the gospel of grace. And I want to read these to you. And as I read these, I want, to ask you, I want you to ask yourself, is there ever a point when any of these will become irrelevant to you? So here are some of these 12 affirmations as we see them by way of the screen. To be a person who lives under the gospel of grace, 
is to believe and consent to be loved while unworthy. It is to refuse to make resolutions and vows, for that would be to trust in your flesh or your own ability. To be be a person in the gospel of grace is to expect to be blessed, though realizing more and more your lack of worth. It is to testify of God's goodness at all times. It is to be certain of God's future favor. It is to rely on God's chastening or disciplining hand as a mark of his kindness. It is to, it is to hope to be better is to fail, your, to fail to see yourself in Christ only. To be disappointed with yourself is to have believed in yourself. To be discouraged in, in is unbelief as to God's purpose and plan of blessing for you. To be proud is to be blind, for we have no standing before God and ourselves. The lack of divine blessing, therefore, comes from unbelief and not from failure of devotion. And real devotion to God arises not from man's will to show it, but from the discovery that the blessing has been received from God while we were yet unworthy and undevoted. Do any of those relate to you? Do any of those have benefit to you? Folks, when we come to the gospel, there are two realizations. I realize that I'm more sinful than I thought, but I am more loved and valued by God than I could have ever dreamed or imagined. Well, how do we take what we're learning on Sunday and how do we apply this to Monday? Let me give you a couple of encouragements here. Number one, by way of your notes, if you're in a note-writing mood, understand the priority of the gospel. Understand its priority. Verse 14, Paul goes on, he says, I am obligated both to the Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Paul says, I've got two attitudes toward the gospel. I'm obligated and I'm eager. Some of your versions may say, I am a debtor to the Greeks and to the non-Greeks. What was Paul indebted to? What was he obligated to? There's a way that you can be in debt to somebody. If somebody gives you $1,000 and loans it to you, you owe them. You need to pay that $1,000 back. That's not the obligation. That's not the debt that Paul was talking about. It was kind of like, imagine somebody gives you $1,000 and they're entrusting you to give that $1,000 to somebody else. It's a trust. It's an obligation because it's been passed on to you. And that's where Paul is. And that's where we are as a church. We have been given the gospel of grace. It is a trust. And as we have received it, now we have an obligation and a debt to our communities to pass that message on and that reality to others. And that's why it's in our mission statement that we are passing on in obedient relationship with Christ to our communities. Imagine you're at a store. You've got a little extra money, and I don't recommend you playing the lottery. I don't do it, but let's just imagine this for argument's sake. You've got a few extra dollars, and you say to the clerk, give me a lottery ticket. And so as you buy the lottery ticket, you put it in your wallet, and then a couple of days later, they finally pull the winning ticket. And as you see the number there, you pull out your card, and your number is the winning ticket. You've won thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. I want to ask you this question. Are you going to say, that's nice, no big deal? 
That's pretty cool. No. You've won thousands and thousands of dollars, and you are going to go. You're going to be on the phone. You're going to be telling as many people as you can, guess what? I've won the lottery. It's good news. It's something you weren't expecting. Imagine you have cancer. The diagnosis is grim, but you're healed. You have a treatment or whatever, and the cancer goes into remission. Are you going to be like, oh, no big deal. That's cool. I'm glad that happened. Or are you going to go to others and say, I've got great news. I was sick, but now I no longer am. And folks, if we have the gospel, the good news, that we have forgiveness given to us through Jesus Christ as a gift, we don't simply sit around and say, yeah, that's nice, that's no big deal. But what we do is we go and we proclaim it to others. And so like today, as we go into our community, six different places, And we're going to pray for God to bless our communities. We're doing that because we want God to move his hope, his grace, and his message into the places that we believe God has called us to serve, to be an outpost, to be missionaries, to proclaim this message. And so we pray for people, we care for them, and then we share the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Number two, understand the power of the gospel. Understand the power of the gospel. Verse 16, Paul writes, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of God. Jesus was feeding 5,000. They were hungry. 5,000 plus the women and children. And as he fed the multitudes, they at that point wanted to take him and make him king. Here is a guy who can deal with world hunger. Here's a guy who can deal with poverty. Here's a guy who can deal with all of the social and political problems in the world. And they wanted him to be a political Messiah. But Jesus removed himself from them. And instead of being made a king, he went to the cross and he died as a criminal. He died as one who was rejected. He died as the worst of thieves. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin. He didn't sin, but he identified with our sin, that we could become the righteousness of God in him. And folks, if the fundamental need of our world was political, Jesus would have become a king at that moment. If the biggest issue that we're facing is world hunger, then Jesus could have solved it at that moment. If the biggest issues that we are facing in our world are sociological, then Jesus could have been the Messiah who could have done that. But he realized that that wasn't our deepest need or our biggest problem. The deepest need was that we have sin that separates us from a holy God. And that we need to be a right relationship with him. And that as we come into a right relationship with him, and as he changes us, God then uses us to bring change into the world that is around us. And so that's why Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. It is the most fundamental need of our world. Well, I want to invite our worship team and our prayer team, our ministry prayer team to come forward. And I want to invite you to stand. And right now we have people here who could be feeling like absolute failures. 
Maybe right now you're looking at yourself and saying, I feel like such a disappointment to God. I don't know why he would want to answer my prayers. I don't know why God would want to bless me. Maybe right now you're at that place where you just feel a little sense of hope because you feel so unworthy. Maybe right now you're going through a depression that you don't understand. Maybe right now you're facing things in your life that just don't make any sense. Maybe right now it's a very dark time. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says this, He still loves you just the same. And there is nothing you can do to make Him love you more. And there is nothing you have done or will do that will make Him love you less. And the point is, is that if you put faith in that gospel, it is His power and His love that sustains you. So I want to read Psalm 77, verses 7 to 14. And I'm going to read verses 7 to 9, and then I'm going to invite us to read together verses 10 to 14. And in verse 10, you're going to see the psalmist writes, To this I appeal. To this I will appeal. And so for us as believers in Jesus Christ, the only thing we appeal upon is the gospel of Jesus Christ, His righteousness given to us on our behalf. Verse 7. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Together, verse 10. Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all of your works and meditate on all of your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples.